Thanks so much. That wonderful introduction. What a joy and delight to be here with you. How many enjoyed the women's event yesterday? I see a number of hands up there. I, I heard some great, great feedback, and we're looking forward to a wonderful service with you today. And uh, we love your pastors. How many know you guys are blessed to be part of this church? Incredible leaders that love God, that love you in this community, and we are so grateful for the invitation here. In fact, as I was thinking back on it, you were one of the very first churches that partnered with us when we were just starting out in ministry and, and in this uh, aspect of missions. And so thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for believing in us even before we'd ever gone, even before any stories of what God was doing there. Just a, just a dream that God had placed in our hearts and really love you guys and appreciate you. Um, for my, my wife and I, Jill right there, if you want to wave. Um, we got married 16 years ago and uh, we went on a honeymoon as most people do. And then two days after we went out to interview to be missionaries. And yes, growing up in, in New York, a few of us, uh, a few of our family members, a few of our friends told us that we were crazy. They said, why would you even consider that? Why would you leave this country, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your job, your church, your mission? Why would you leave all of this to move to a country you've never once visited, to a place where you don't even know one person that lives there? And for us, the answer was simple. We had heard God's voice. Since we were teenagers, we had sensed his call in our lives. And we thought, what better way to start our married life together than being obedient to what it asked us to do. And so we went out there and we shared with the missions committee our love for the Spanish-speaking world. And they said, well, is there a certain country in that area that you feel called to? And we asked them a question. We said, well, where do you have the greatest need? Where do you have the least number of missionaries and the least number of churches? And they kind of chuckled a little. And they said, oh, we have a country for you. You say, you ever heard of Uruguay before? And they opened this map to show us where it was. It's this little country tucked away in South America, right next to Argentina, just south of Brazil. And they said something that I'll never forget. They said, did you know that from the north of Canada to the tip of Argentina, Uruguay is the least reached country in all the Americas? And they said, why don't you take two days, pray about it, come back and let us know if you go and spend the rest of your lives there. (laughs) Well, God spoke to us in those 48 hours. And we went back and we said, yes. And since then, he's opened some incredible doors of opportunity in Uruguay. Um, first of all, he blessed us with a wonderful family. We have three kids since, since arriving there. So Lucas, he's 10, Josh, seven, and Julia, three. Um, and they are just this incredible joy and love, love Uruguay, um, love growing up there and are, are such an important part of our work and ministry is there a while. Uh, there as well. And uh, in addition to that, he's opened some incredible doors for ministry. Um, so we teach at a Bible school, train the next generation of pastors and leaders. We help plant or establish new churches in the least reached parts of the country. And um, one of the strategies that God has given us to do that not only is to, to train and mentor young couples that feel called to do that, but is to also reach out to people there through sports. We found that it's an atheistic country. The majority of people, they would tell you they don't believe in God or they just really don't care. And so God gave us this creative strategy on how to use soccer, a sport that they love, as a way to reach the people there. And so soccer just happens to be my favorite sport as well. I was in, uh, played Division One here in the States and over in Europe for a while and um, realized that God gifted me in that area so that I could connect 
to Uruguayans through their greatest passion, help to reveal to them their greatest need. And so many of these new churches that we plant are a direct result of the soccer clubs and outreaches that we've first done in those communities. And uh, in this last term, we moved into a season of construction as well. Um, seeing the need for these new congregations to have their very own building. Many of them were still meeting in people's homes, garages, community centers, rented storefronts, some even under tents. And uh, we just saw that it, they were limited in their space and their ability to grow because of where they were. And so we thought, what would it look like if they got into their very first sanctuary? And so we moved into the season of construction, helping them to have their first permanent structure, a place that they could call home and better reach their communities for him. And so we made a little video to show you some of the faces the people in Uruguay and a little bit of what ministry there looks like. So thanks so much for your partnership. The people you saw there, those are new believers. Those are the new churches that were planted. And uh, one of the really cool things, those are their very first sanctuaries that they can call home. And so as we were worshiping here this morning in those locations, they're also worshiping and gathered together today. Um, a few years ago, God laid on a heart to start an initiative, something that we call Hope for Uruguay 100. And so our goal through this is to establish or plant 100 new churches in the least reached part of the country and then build 100 sanctuaries for these new and growing congregations. And so to date, 35 new churches have been planted and 23 new churches have been built. And uh, God has been so good. Every single one of those churches, they are now led by Uruguayan pastors and uh, not only do they have Uruguayan leadership, but they're self-supporting on their own. And then now that they've been able to acquire their property, we've moved into a season of construction and they have 23 new sanctuaries built in just the last three years that, uh, that they can call their own. And so it's this exciting season that we're living in as we're seeing new churches established and them getting their very first building so they can be more effective in their ministry. Um, on the next slide, I think you'll see a picture of our prayer cards. We'd love to invite you as you leave today to grab one of those cards. How many know prayer is a powerful thing? It does incredible things, not only what we can see, but what we can't see as it prepares hearts, as it opens doors, it does things in people's lives. And we truly covet your prayers. If you would grab one of those cards on your way out, put it someplace where you would see it often and remember us and the people in Uruguay in your prayers, we would be so grateful. And you'll see a QR code there. If you would like to know a little bit more about what we do or receive our quarterly newsletters, we send out emails every few months that give some pictures and videos and updates of what God is doing um, throughout the country of Uruguay. Um, if you just want to scan that and sign up, we would love to, to share that information with you as well. And um, I couldn't help uh, but be amazed as I looked over that list of missionaries and ministries that you guys support on a monthly basis. Uh, 70, I believe the number was, that, that are part of your missions family here. And I know if they were here on the platform as well, they'd want to express their appreciation to you. And so on behalf of all of them, let me just say thank you. Thank you for your prayers, your encouragement, your generosity. Thank you for all that you do so that we have the opportunity to be obedient to the call of God in our lives to go, in our case, to the nation of Uruguay and to share his good news there. Hopefully one day you'll be able to come and see firsthand what God is doing there. But even if you don't, I'm sure in heaven be a few Uruguayans that walk up to you one day and say, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that they got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool that we get to be part of the body of Christ and we get to do something greater for his kingdom than we could ever imagine as we partner through missions. This morning, I want to share a, a simple message that God's laid on my heart. And I just put this title on God and the highly unexpected. And we're going to tell a story of how someone unexpected 
goes to an unexpected place, and through their obedience, we get to see an unexpected result. If you have your Bibles, you can find the story, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah. So, Elijah, he was a prophet. He found himself living in a very dark and a difficult time. The king of Israel at the time, his name was King Ahab. And um, he was known, as the Bible calls him, uh, for, to be a horrible, terrible leader. In fact, it, it describes him as this. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king before him. Now, if you read the book of Kings, you'll find out there were some pretty bad kings. Can you imagine how terrible he must have been that God would describe you as the one who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king before him? And King Ahab actually had a wife. Her, her name was Queen Jezebel. Now, if you think Ahab was bad, I think Queen Jezebel was even worse. She was vile, manipulative. She turned the hearts of the people from worshiping God to worshiping Baal. And she's actually known to have killed someone over a piece of property. So can you imagine how difficult and dark and corrupt the times were that Elijah was living in? And so he's so upset because of what's going on. He struts in the king's palace. He announces it's not going to rain for the next three years. Now, he better have heard from God. Somebody know, right? He better have heard from God before he went and made an announcement like that. But he had, because it came true. He ends up leaving there that day. He goes to the Kareth Ravine. He drinks water from a brook that's there. And God miraculously provides ravens that bring him bread and meat every morning and every evening. And things are going good for a while till the brook dries up. And then that's where our story starts this morning. First Kings chapter 17, I'll begin reading in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she went to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away, did as Elijah had told her, and there is food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and for her family. Can you imagine how desperate and hopeless the situation must have seemed for this woman and how in one day everything changed? But more important than just having some food to eat, I think it was the realization that she came to, that there was a God in Israel that loved her, that cared about her and her family, and had a special plan for their lives. You see, as I mentioned, the king was Ahab, and it was a difficult and a dark time in which she found herself. Iniquity, injustice, corrupt leadership, idolatry, and sin were prevalent. In fact, not too different from what we find ourselves in today. And yet, in spite of that, we see how God uses an unexpected person in an unexpected place. God calls the prophet Elijah to go to a community called Zarephath. Zarephath was actually the birthplace of Queen Jezebel, and it's a word that means smelting place or a place of testing. This unexpected place that the Lord sends Elijah to isn't just Jezebel's hometown, but it's the epicenter of Baal worship in that nation. As I thought about it, I thought, God, you could have sent him to any place. You could have sent him to a community of believers. You could have sent him to a wealthy family. You could have sent him to so many other options. Why would you ever choose to send him to a widow living in Zarephath? 
the epicenter of Baal worship. You say, how bad could Baal worship really be? Well, let's take a look at it. There was shrine prostitutes, sexual immorality, and child and infant sacrifice. Elijah wasn't sent to a land of prosperity or God-fearers, but to the difficult and hardest place he could be. I remember when Jill and I were first approved as missionaries, we heard about some of the challenges of Uruguay. They actually told us it's called the graveyard of Latin American missions. They told us how secular it was, how liberal, how unchurched the people were, and how many missionaries would leave shortly after arriving, uh, disappointed because they had seen so little results and they never returned again. And I remember hearing about the challenges and and some of the things that had gone in the past. But it wasn't really till we arrived there and began to see how things were that we began to sense the great need. In fact, I wonder if our first few days in Uruguay, if we felt as uncomfortable as maybe Elijah felt as he went to Zarephath. But you see, as I began to think about it, began to realize God didn't just send Elijah to Zarephath because of the epicenter of darkness, depravity, and demonic activity. He also sent him there because the epicenter of where the lost people were in that nation. And I began to realize that sometimes God sends us to difficult and uncomfortable situations because there's some lost people there that are waiting to hear about him. Sometimes God even calls us to go to an unexpected place or an unexpected person because there's someone there that needs to hear about his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Jill and I, we'd only been in Uruguay a short time. And we were in the northern part of the country helping with a new church. And we got a call from our security company that our house had been robbed. And I said, really? You know, we got bars on the windows, our, our big wooden door out front. And uh, they said, yeah, you don't have a door anymore. They took an axe and chopped it down. And uh, so I said, okay. And so we drive back to assess the damage. And sure enough, they'd gotten in and taken this stuff. And um, But the biggest shock was that uh, the people who had robbed us, we found out that they were neighbors. They were uh, living three doors down from us, actually squatters that had moved into this abandoned house. And if you their drug habit, they would go around and steal from everybody in our community. And um, so I did the only logical thing. I took an axe, I chopped down their door, and I took my stuff back. No, I actually really didn't do that. Um, I grabbed a soccer ball, and I walked over their house, and I asked if they wanted to play. And they came running out in the street there that day, right in the road, right in front of their place. We played a soccer game and um, became something I did with them over time. And they got to know me and they got to hear my story. Most important, they got to hear about Jesus. Fast forward one year, we're walking out of church one day. Two teenage guys are waiting for me at the door and they said, hey, uh, Steve, remember who we are? And I said their names. I said, yeah, you're my neighbors. I said, guess what? We just got saved this week. Came to this church because there's a teen challenge and we're trying to get off drugs and get our lives straightened out. We haven't had contact with our family. Would you go and tell them that we're safe? We're okay. We part of this program for the next year. That's absolutely. And so that night I had the privilege of walking in their home and sharing with their family about Christ. Now I did admit, uh, I should admit, I did look around to see if my, wa- my TV was mounted on their wall or any of Jill's shoes were over in the corners. <laughs> but uh, I realized something there that day. That God was more concerned with the spiritual condition of my neighbor's heart than he was with my comfort, my possessions. And sometimes God might even allow us to go through a a difficult season in life to create an opportunity so that our family and our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, even our thieving neighbors might have a chance to experience his love and his grace. You see, God sometimes calls us to unexpected places. Sometimes he sends us to unexpected people. Because he knows that there's someone there that's waiting to hear his good news. There's someone that's in a desperate situation that just needs to know that there's a God that loves them and cares about them. And there's hope for their lives. 
Mauricio was uh, walking down the road one day, and he heard a Christian radio station that was on. And even though he didn't understand everything, it, it piqued his interest so much that as he continued down the road, he saw a church. He walked in the church, and he asked the pastor there who this guy Jesus was. I'm at this church three years later. We had just finished our time of sharing. We had some prayer at the altar. And Mauricio walks up to me and says, Steve, um, I feel like as you're sharing, God wants me to plan a church. And so I said, well, let's talk with your pastor. We got his blessing. And what we do is we have a year-long program where we do mentorship and training for young couples that want to plan a church. And so we walk through this process with Mauricio, help them establish this new church. And as we often do, we challenge these new congregations that if they will buy their first piece of property, we'll come alongside and help them build. And so they got excited with the help of their mother church. They bought this piece of property and we built their very first church. It was church number nine in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. And uh, the church is doing great. They're growing, seeing some wonderful things happen there. If Mauricio was here today, I think he'd probably tell us that he's an unexpected person serving in an unexpected place. Yet because of God's faithfulness, they're seeing lives changed. They're seeing family transformed. Another person I think of is Sergio. Sergio was a part of the occult, um, consumed by drugs. And one day as he's walking by a church, he hears the pastor preaching about the Holy Spirit. He's never been to church before. He actually doesn't even walk in the doors of church. He just kind of walks up to the window, pokes his head in, and listens to the message that day. Once again, never been to church, so he doesn't know you don't interrupt the pastor when they're preaching. But at one point, he just can't, can't, can't resist it anymore, and he says, excuse me, sir, who is this Holy Spirit you're talking about? I've invited every other spirit I've ever heard of to live inside of me. I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before, though. And the pastor said, come in, I'll tell you all about him. And that was the day he gave his life to Christ. God set him free in a powerful way. And came to the Bible school. He's pastoring one of the churches, and they were church number thirteen that we helped to play, that we helped to build in the Hope for Uruguay One Hundred Project. If Sergio was here with us today, he'd probably tell us I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place. But because of what God's done in his heart, he can't help but share his love, his faithfulness, his goodness with those around him. You see, sometimes God asks us to go to difficult or dark places because there's someone there that needs to hear about them. The question is, are we willing to be obedient? You see, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And he invites us to be part of that. But I wonder today, are we willing to step out of our area of comfort to take a step of faith into the unknown and see what God might do? Who's that person he wants us to share with at work? Who's that family member that needs to hear about him? Who's that person that we come in contact with that he wants us to share? And I think if we're willing to take that step of faith, we'll get to see some lives changed. We'll get to see some family transformed. Maybe a new church is planted and God receives the glory. In northern Uruguay, there was a couple named Marcelo and Cecilia. I'm sitting at church one day. They just sensed that God wanted them to plant a church. They end up quitting their jobs as teachers, sell their house, and they move 100 kilometers away to a community um, that has no church at all. There's no Catholic church. There's no Protestant church. There's just nothing. And so this couple, along with their three children, moved to this new community because they wanted the people there to have an opportunity to have a church close to where they live to hear about Jesus. And I think the reality of the situation set in after they'd been there a few days because that's when I got a call from Marcelo. He said, Steve, we don't know what we're doing. Can you come and help us? And we said, absolutely. And so, as I mentioned, we had this year-long program. So we, we, we walked through this process and helped with their training and mentorship and helped them to establish this new church there. And as we often do, we do soccer outreaches in these new communities. And so they did a soccer tournament. 
It's one of their very first outreaches there. And so ran a tournament for the men in that community. And then as we often do in Uruguay, we'll end these events with what they call an asado. It's an outdoor barbecue. And in Uruguay, steak, they absolutely love to eat steak. Very prevalent. In fact, they consume more red meat than any other nation in the world. Eight cows for every one person, cheaper than chicken. And so they, they have lots of steak there. And so threw some steak on the grill put some chorizo sausages. They have this stuff called queso partigero where they throw on the provolone cheese and as it melts, a little bit of oregano on the top. And so we, we eat pretty well down there. So we did this big asado for them and then we shared the gospel message and many of them gave their lives to Christ that night. Later, when we started the home groups and then moved into the Sunday morning service, it was these men who brought their families to be part of this new congregation. And then we challenged them. You guys buy your first property. We'll come alongside and help you build. And so they got excited and bought this beautiful corner lot right in the middle of the town there. And they said, it has to be visible because we want everybody to know we actually have a church for the very first time in our community. We built the church there, church number four, in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. And everything seemed to be going well for the next five months. The church is growing. They're making inroads in the community. And I get a call from Cecilia that something happened to their husband. He was hospitalized. And a week later, he dies. And I still remember that call. She said, why would God have us quit our job, sell our house, and move with our three kids to a new community just for my husband to die? As we walked through this process with her, she came to the realization that God hadn't just called her husband, but he, called her whole, that he had called her whole family. And she said, I'm willing to stay and assume the role of the pastorate. And together, with the help of her three children, they're doing an incredible job. In fact, so much so, she was able to leave her job as a teacher and come on full-time there at the church. And they're seeing lives change. They're seeing great things happen. I wonder if she was here with us this morning, she might say something similar. I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place. And yet because she was willing to stay, even during a difficult time, lives are being changed and families are being transformed. You see, there was a, another unexpected person who, like Cecilia, happened to be a widow as well that we read about in First Kings today. She not only was an unexpected person, but she was living in this unexpected place. Here she was, a single mom, Gentile believer. If you remember, she turns to Elijah. She doesn't say our God. She says your God. Most likely, she was a Baal worshiper living in the heart of darkness in the midst of a famine. Just trying to raise her son and have one final meal together. Can you imagine how hopeless and desperate this situation must have been? And I wonder as Elijah walked there that day, if he had his doubts about her ability to really provide for him. As he looked and he saw, he said, wasn't there a wealthy family that was an option? A musk of bezos against anybody from the Walton family could have done better than this one. And yet, as he arrived there that day, an interesting thing takes place. He walks up to this lady just collecting a few sticks and he asks her for a glass of water, something very common culturally. But then he says, oh, and bring me a piece of bread, something not common at all. And in her mind, she immediately began to think, I can't. I don't have the ingredients. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. It's impossible. How can I really help this guy when my family has such a great need? I wonder, have we ever fallen into a similar pattern of thinking? I can't help because I don't have enough time. I'm just so busy with all work and school and the kids' activities and this. That I couldn't possibly serve it. Just, I couldn't possibly sign up for that or help. Or that. I'm just, just too busy. Or give. Oh, no, I can't give. Maybe when I'm in a better position financially. Maybe things are, are a little bit better over here. Maybe when I get a raise. And then maybe I can, I can do that. And we look at the gravity and we look at the situation around us. And we think, well, I can't help with that just because of all that's going on in my life. 
Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Maybe you're like me, look at the gravity, the enormity of the situation, and you think, I can't help with all that because I can't really resolve the whole problem. But you see, God doesn't ask us to do everything. He just asks us to do our part. And when we're faithful and obedient to use what he's placed in our hands, it's incredible the miracle that God can do. And so, here we are. Elijah, God sends Elijah to an unexpected person who's living in this unexpected place. And then we get to see the unexpected plan. Elijah says there, but first make a small loaf of bread for me for what you have. Bring it to me and then go and make something for yourself and your son. Yikes, that's pretty bold. Make something first for me, the stranger, and then make something for you and your son. But this wasn't any ordinary person. You remember, this is the same guy who at the beginning of the story, I told you, he struts in the king's palace. He announces it's not going to rain for the next three years. This is the same guy who, after this, goes and takes on hundreds of prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And they have a showdown to see who the true God in Israel is. And he's so confident that our God is going to answer with fire that not only does he allow them to go first, but he pours buckets and buckets of water on the sacrifice because he trusts that God's going to answer so powerfully with fire that he's going to reveal himself to all the people there. How come he was so confident? I think the secret lies in this. He understood the voice of God. He knew his voice. And when God told him, go and announce to the king it wasn't going to rain, he was willing to do it and risk his life. When God told him, go and take on the prophets of Baal, he was willing to do it. And in verse 9, we see that God actually spoke to him and said, go to Zarephath, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so even though it seemed unlikely, even though in his mind it might have seemed impossible, he was willing to go and make this bold request because he trusted the voice of God. And I'm glad there was a woman there who was willing to believe it and do her part. I wonder, have we ever missed out an incredible miracle from God just because we won't do what he's asked us to do? Jill and I, we nearly did. You see, a few years ago, God gave us this vision of hope for Uruguay 100. Plan 100 churches, build 100 churches. And we are moving into the season of construction. And because we hadn't done much of that before, we thought, okay, well, we'll partner with the organization. We'll figure out how, how we can build. And so this organization, they said, well, we're going to send you some people that have done it before. And they're going to assess your situation. They're going to help you find the right materials, the most cost-effective way to build in your country. They're going to come with architectural drawings and plans and help you have this great foundation so that you can build all these churches from this model. Great. And in addition to that, we have a legacy team that we're going to send. These are key pastors and business leaders that love to support construction projects. And we're going to send them to you. They're going to see the project. They're going to fall in love. And they're going to be your initial bank to get all these going. And then we have 12 teams from the States, from different churches that are going to come and they're going to help you build your first 12 churches. And so we got excited. We thought we had done our part. We thought everything was going good. We decided to launch and we picked the optimal moment to do it. March of 2020. You remember what happened then? (laughs) Same thing that happened here happened in Uruguay. Two days before this first team was supposed to arrive, our borders closed. Closed for two years. Government shut down. Schools couldn't meet. Churches weren't allowed to meet. Everything changed. The financial crisis, the the health crisis, it just, just affected the entire world. And so look at the situation. We said, is it really the best time to launch an initiative of this magnitude? Maybe we should just put on hold till, you know, the curve flattens and then till everything normalizes. And, but along the way, God just continued to burden our hearts with the simple fact that there are lost people that are dying and desperate to know him.
And that didn't stop because of a pandemic. And so without really knowing how, we just sensed that he wanted us to move forward. We didn't have a plan to build. None of those that were supposed to help fund the initial project were able to make it into the country. And we lost all 12 of those construction teams because our borders are closed. We just knew that God wanted us to take a step of faith and to move forward. And he's been so faithful. Not only was that first church built, but there's been 23 churches that haven't built during that time. Every single one of them fully funded and everyone by local believers, volunteers from these new congregations that stepped up to help build their new churches. I remember as we went to the very first one, we didn't quite know what we were doing. We just bought some materials and we had an idea of how we would, but we had never done it before. We just had this audacious goal that God had given us to build a church in a week, actually six days, and then dedicate it on the seventh day. And that was actually the time-lapse video that you saw in our in our presentation earlier. And so um, we get there and there's a guy who I see who I didn't recognize before. I asked him his name. He says, Antonio. And I said, Antonio, what are you doing here? He said, well, uh, first of all, I'm an atheist. And so he starts out. He goes, but my wife comes to church here. <laughs> he says, she told me what you guys are doing. I'm a retired bricklayer, Mason, love to lay brick. And he says, uh, I figured I'd come and help you out with the construction today. And so I said, great, you're working with me. We're going to start over here. And I realized very quickly, Antonio was good. He knew what he was doing. And that was important because I was not good and I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> and so uh, throughout the day, I got to know him. We got to talk. And I said, Antonio, man, you are such a help. Today. Would you consider coming back tomorrow? We could really use you again. And he said yes. And that turned into a third day and a fourth day and a fifth day and a sixth day. At the end of the sixth day, I looked at him. I said, Antonio, you've been here all week with us. Tomorrow we're going to do a celebration. we just love to honor you for all you've done. Would you consider coming back tomorrow? He said, I'll think about it. But guess who came back the next day? Antonio. And when I gave the altar call at the end of the service, guess who walked forward to give his life to Christ? But he didn't come alone. He came with his kids and his grandkids. He said, this week I sent something that changed my life and I wanted them to see this decision because all their lives I told them that God didn't exist. And I wanted them to be here and see this when I made a decision to follow him. Later when he was baptized, Many of them were baptized with him as well. And he said this. He said, Steve, thanks for coming and changing the course of my family history. Now, I'm know I didn't do that. God did. But I think I know what he meant. Our obedience opens the door for lives to be changed. When we're willing to take a step of faith and go to an unexpected place, maybe share with an unexpected person, we can trust God that he's going to do his part. The lives are going to be changed. Families are going to be transformed. Nations are going to be different because of that decision. And I want to say thank you to you this morning. It's because of your partnership, your prayers, your generosity, your faithfulness that Antonio gets to know Christ. It's because of your partnership that this church was established and they have their very first building. As we're gathered here, they are meeting there right now and worshiping God. That wouldn't be possible without you. And so thank you. Thank you for helping churches like this to be established. Thank you for helping families, individuals like Antonio to get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't it cool that we get to be part of God's mission both locally and globally? You know, I heard it said before that impossible is where God starts, but miracles are what he does. If it's something possible, I can do it in my own strength, ability, resources, and time. But it's when we arrive at those seemingly impossible situations, that's when God steps in and he does the miraculous. Jill and I were at a point where we didn't have the resources We didn't have the understanding on how to build. We didn't have any teams coming in. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. We just knew that he wanted us to move forward. And in that impossible situation, God did something 
even greater than we had ever dreamed of. 35 churches planted, 23 buildings that were built just in the last few years to give space so that these churches, these congregations can grow and they can reach their communities. God has been so good. Finishing up with the biblical account, I love that there was a woman there who didn't focus on what she didn't have but was willing to listen. You see, it's impossibly generous if we're always focused on what we don't have. So what does she do? She takes the ingredients that she has. She takes a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, a little bit of water, and she makes a simple loaf of bread. And I don't know exactly where she realized that something supernatural is occurring, but sometime along the way, maybe she grabbed that jug of oil and, and began to pour some out and more sloshed out than should have been in there. Maybe she grabbed that, 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 that jar of flour and it felt a little bit heavier than it should have been. Maybe it was after she made that first loaf of bread for Elijah and looked back in there and she says, there's still some flour and there's still some oil. But somewhere along the way, she realized that something miraculous was taking place. A smile comes across her face and she realizes that there's a God in Israel that loves her and cares about her and her son. He's got a special plan for their lives. The needs of this woman were not insignificant to God. He had sent Elijah to her at just the right moment to strengthen her faith and bless her at a time where she felt lost and hopeless. And she trusted Elijah not only to receive a material blessing, but a spiritual one as well. And the Bible concludes like this. The story goes, for the jar of flour is not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I love it. In spite of any doubt she had, she was willing to give what she had, not out of abundance, but out of her lack and a completely unexpected result occurs. Her obedience and her generosity opened the door to the miraculous. An unexpected person in an unexpected place was obedient and God did something unexpected. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Who can surprise us if we're just willing to say yes to his plan and his purpose? The question is, are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to be obedient to what he's asking us to do? Are we willing to pray? Are we willing to go? Are we willing to give? Are we willing to share with those around us? Are we willing to say yes, even if it requires us stepping out of our comfort zone, going to an unexpected place or to an unexpected person? And if we are, we can trust him where we see some unexpected miracles along the way. You see, that's the mission he invites us to be part of, to help a lost and a broken world find Jesus. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Unexpected people in unexpected places to do unexpected things. And we can trust him that he'll do his part as lives are changed, family transforms, and names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me today? Lord, we come before you so grateful for your goodness and your faithfulness that while we were yet sinners, while we were far from you, you sent your one and only son to the cross for us. God, we were so moved by that sacrifice, so touched by your saving grace that, God, we can't contain it. We want to share that with those around us. And so this morning we ask that you would give us an opportunity to share with those around us. God, you would give us a divine encounter with someone this week that desperately needs to hear and to know about you. And God, we would be faithful and willing to say yes to whatever you might ask us to do. Now, while that might look different for each and every person here, God, we want to commit ourselves one more time to your plan and purpose for our lives and say, God, whatever you have for us, we say yes. Wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to do, 
whoever he wants to share with. We say yes, because God, we want to see your will done. We want to see lives changed. We want to see family transformed. We want to see, God, the results of what you're doing in this nation all around the world. Thank you for a church that cares about reaching the world. Thank you for a church that cares about reaching the lost right here in this community. Thank you for, God, a place that people can come and they can find hope in you. They can find healing. Lord, that you can do something amazing in their lives. Lord, we dedicate ourselves once again to your plan and your purpose. Use us so that one more person can have an opportunity to experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen.